0: Hey guys, I'm Mark, I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Church, and it's great to be with you this morning. We're so glad that you took some time out of your, your Sunday uh, morning to come and be with us. This summer here at Providence Church, we've been in the 23rd Psalm um, the, the whole time, and so uh, this week we are on this verse. You just heard it, but I want to lift it up in particular, um, and just kind of settle, settle with us over the next few moments. This is verse 5 of the 23rd Psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I, I recently was able to visit uh, the home of a new friend named Kennedy. He was showing me around his town, driving me all over his town, and I uh, spent the day together seeing all the sights of his home, hometown. And it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and he said, I want to show you my home. And I said, I would like to see your home. And so I was a little bit tired because of the time, but I thought, it won't take that long, you know, to see my friend's home. And so it'll be, it'll be quick. We'll, we'll do this. He drove across town, pulled into the driveway to his house, and we looked around. And I was like, this is a great house. I'm so happy for you and your wife and your two daughters who live in this home, that this is where you get to live and do life. And then he uh, turned the car off. And I was like, oh, oh I, I guess we're getting out of the car and so we got out of the car and we uh, walked around the yard a little bit, looked at the kind of garden, beautiful setting, I was telling him how great it was, and he said, yeah, and they started walking towards the front door of the house, and so I was like, oh, I guess, I guess we're going to go inside the house together, and so we went inside the house and we went into the living room, they had uh, chairs all around the edge of their living room set up, and then uh, right in the middle of the room was a big coffee table. So we sat around in these seats and we talked a little bit and I got to know his family. It was my first time, you know, there, and uh, got to meet them. They were pointing out all the pictures on the wall, telling me the stories behind them all, like you do when you're in somebody's house for the first time. And then, you know, it was going on. I was comfortable, but I was also still a little bit sleepy. And so I was about to say, I think it's probably time for me to, to head home. And then my friend Kennedy, his wife, just shot up out of her seat, walked over to the coffee table, and just started removing items off the coffee table and then she left the room. A few moments, she came back later with a cloth, and she spread it out over the coffee table, and I was like, this is really odd. You know, you have guests, and you're redecorating your living room while we're in the middle of a conversation. It's, kind of, I mean, kind of rude. I didn't want to say it, you know, but it was kind of, it was kind of odd, you know, and so I kind of sat with it for a minute, and I was just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you guys, your family, have your afternoon. Thank you so much for your time together, and as I was Getting those words out, Kennedy's daughters walked out of the kitchen carrying platters of food, and this isn't like, I mean, this wasn't like nuts and, and fruit and beef jerky that they, you know, pulled out of the pantry, like, they, this was like prepared food, three different kinds of meat, and, and potatoes, and roasted vegetables, they set them on the coffee table, it was amazing, an amazing spread of food at three o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> <laughs> um, Kennedy's wife brought over a, a bowl, a big bowl, and she held it in front of me, and she had a pitcher in her other hand. It was uh, kind of soapy water, and she began to tip it over. She wanted me to wash my hands, and I was like, what kind of a house is this? <laughs> it's like washing my hands, thinking to myself, if somebody came to our house, um, we, we would offer you something to drink, for sure. We would definitely." Do that. And um, if we had some scraps of food laying around, you know, they're yours. We'd love to, to feed it. We don't have a feast on hand all the time, is what I'm saying. And I know for sure I've never offered to personally wash the hands of a guest who's come into our house. So I was there washing my hands and I, and I ate the food and I was grateful, even though, you know, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Kennedy and his family had clearly thought this through. Like, my visit was not a surprise to them. It was a surprise to me. It was not a surprise to them, right? <laughs> what, I, what I heard in all of that is Kennedy's wife saying to me, if you have a guest, you have to feed them. And as she said that, I was kind of just looking at her, and she was like, that's the end of it. I have spoken. If you have a guest, you have to feed them. And so it was like, I'm going to eat this food, right? <laughs> And if it, it felt like, you know, maybe behind it was, you could interpret it as an obligation. They were serving us food out of obligation. But if it was obligation, it was a good obligation. <laughs> like they would have felt wrong if they didn't offer me hospitality. And I would have felt wrong if I didn't receive their hospitality, right? This, this summer here at Providence Church, as I said, it's been, it's been the summer with the shepherd, <laughs> reading the 23rd Psalm together. And King David in the 23rd Psalm has been using this imagery of God like a a good shepherd. And here in this verse, you might have noticed it, he kind of shifts to talk about God as a good host. So the shepherd who guides you and leads you and makes you rest and is with you in the valleys of life, it also prepares a table for you. What does that mean? I think a few things that we can learn from this image of the table. First is that the table is meant... For lingering, which is something that not all of us do all that well. Sometimes I'm really guilty of not being able to linger. You know, you don't need a table when you're on the run, right? I've really loved the development of the fact that they can put meals in cups now. So you can, like, grab a cup and you can just go, like, wherever you want to. I mean, no, I'm eating dinner, you know, but you're, you're, you're running around town. Some restaurants, I've noticed, have gotten rid of their tables, or they've shrunk them. I was in a, in a Starbucks yesterday that, that used to have four tops, now they're two tops. Like they actually literally shrunk, <laughs> shrunk their, their tables down. And I'm not sure all the reasoning of that, um, but some of it I think is that they've done some, some work on the statistics and you can get more people through and make more money by having less lingering going on. But when God prepares a table for you, He does it so that you can stick around for a while, <laughs> so that you can linger in His presence. And this is really consistent with the role of the shepherd that we've already heard about, who guides us be beside quiet streams and makes us lie down in green pastures. The table is another place to experience God and to linger in his presence. The, the table, then, is not just about food, right? The table is about blessing and provision from God. Like If you're imagining a table set before you, Set before you is everything that is truly good and everything that you truly need. That's what God does for us. So if you're asking yourself, what do I need today? Well, look at what's in front of you. What has been prepared for you? Among those things are the things that you need for today as God has prepared a table before you. There's blessing in being able to trust in the provision of God. When God prepares a table before you, It is prepared out of kindness, not obligation, not anything else, just out of kindness. The table is prepared out of kindness. And there are several places in the Bible where we have this image of a table that's been prepared out of kindness. And I think probably the most well-known is the the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus uh, taught in Luke chapter 15. It's this parable, many of you would know it, it's um, of two sons, the younger of which goes to his father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance today. And the inheritance is the thing that you might, might get, children, um, when your parents die, <laughs> right? Like there's this expectation, but he's asking his father who's alive for his inheritance that he's supposed to get when, when he dies. Now, I don't know about you, but if your kid comes up to you and asks you for, for something that essentially is him saying, I care about your stuff, I want your stuff, but I don't care about you, <laughs> and I don't want you. <laughs> I want your stuff. I'm going to not react to that very well as a parent, if that were to happen. But this father, in the story that Jesus tells, is prepared to give. It's like, all right, it's yours. It's your inheritance. So the son receives it. He leaves home with the inheritance. And in short time, he blows everything. He wastes it away. And he has nothing to show for it except for an empty stomach and no friends around him. And then, and then he, he's like, he's remembering back home, right? He's remembering what he had with the life that he had there. And so he sucks it up. He begins his journey home. And he imagines that he's going to then work as a servant now in his father's house. Where he used to have stuff. It used to belong to him, right? But he wasted it all. So he's going to go back and he's just going to, at least I can have a roof and food to eat. I will serve in my father's household. But what he experiences instead is the lavish love of his father who embraces his long lost son and prepares a feast for him. And this father, he didn't have an obligation to do that, right? Your kid runs away, takes all your money, spends it all, and comes back. I mean, you're probably going to welcome him back in, but you don't have to throw a party. (laughs) There's no obligation to do that, but this father, he felt like this is what he had to do. His son, who was lost, is now back. He could have given him a servant's shirt, but instead he gave him a robe wear at a feast that he prepared for him. Can you imagine if the son had actually come into the feast and said, I deserve this. You had to throw this party for me because I'm your son. I deserve this party. If he had come in with that attitude, then he would have been denying the graciousness of the gift of the father. It's interesting if you look up the word prodigal, the definition of this word means to spend money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant, which defines who? The son, right? He, he took it and he threw it all away. He was wastefully extravagant. It also, though, I think describes the father, right? He was very extravagant. Now the son, he was extravagant in, for himself. The father was wastefully extravagant for his son. It was unreasonable, right? Throwing a party in this situation. It was very extravagant of the father to be giving this gift of a feast. This is a table of kindness and blessing and provision for his son who didn't even deserve it. Can you imagine what it would feel like to be the son who didn't even deserve it? But David says that this feast happens, and this sounds kind of peculiar. This feast takes place in the presence of of my enemies. What does that even mean? (laughs) At first listen, it sounds kind of odd, right? Picture yourself sitting down to a meal in front of your enemies. What's that meal going to be like? You're going to be probably eating a little bit faster. The food might even taste bitter just because you're in the presence of your enemies. It's going to taste bad, but if I'm eating a meal in the presence of those who know me and love me and get me, well, then the food's going to taste amazing, and I'm going to want to stay, and I'm going to want to linger, right? The prodigal son returns home to a feast in the presence of a new enemy, his, his older brother. Now, if you're thinking of the story, you can kind of think of it in terms of a movie or a novel that you're reading. Would you be satisfied to get to this ending of the story and then walk away from it? Like the son... He's kind of a jerk and asking for his inheritance he goes and he wastes it all and then he has the nerve to come back home and then a party is thrown for him what kind of a what kind of a book what kind of a movie is that right authors and screenwriters have learned that this this kind of story doesn't sell the kind of story that sells is like every Bruce Willis movie ever made now I realize some of you don't know who Bruce Willis is and he's kind of getting old, but he's still making movies, and the plot of his movies, I just saw one of his most recent ones, they're still the same. It's the same plot. Somebody does something to Bruce Willis's family member, or his entire family, maybe, and some of them, right? And then he spends the rest of the story getting what? Revenge, right? And we are rooting for his revenge. I mean, it would be a terrible movie if he just didn't get revenge, sat down at a table with his, with his enemies. Now, if Bruce Willis was the prodigal father right? Stay with me here. If Bruce Willis was the prodigal father, don't write it in your Bible, but just think about it, then the feast that was set up would have been a trap, and justice would have been served for dinner. That's kind of a good title, right? Like the next Bruce Willis movie? Somebody write that (laughs) down. Justice has been served dot, dot, dot for dinner, starring Bruce Willis coming to a theater near you, Right? You're not as impressed as I was, but yeah. (laughs) Just wait and see. It's a blockbuster. (laughs) But the, the prodigal father plot, the prodigal son plot, is not a 21st century screenplay. It comes from the mouth of Jesus. And it's meant to live in our hearts. Because instead of enemies lying dead in the streets, the enemies have to watch an extravagant God pour unconditional love into somebody. And when your enemies see that, then they'll have their whole idea of justice challenged. And maybe that's their punishment, is seeing that and not understanding that. The prodigal's older brother was playing the role of the enemy by this point in the story. The father didn't see him as an enemy, but the, but the older son, he felt at odds with what was happening in his own dining room. A table was prepared in front of his brother, who had been down in the valley, wasting his inheritance. Now I picture David, as he's writing the 23rd Psalm, being able to identify with the prodigal, right? He had, received, he had received so much from God, and he knows what it's like to have wasted it in the valley of life. He had, he had wasted what God had given him, even in his anointing and in his calling, he kind of pushed those things aside to pursue his own thing, and he was living life in the valley, yet God prepared a table before him which kept him alive. If looking upon the generosity of God towards other people feels like punishment to you, then I just want to like take a pause moment here and ask you to consider that the table is actually set for you too. Why does David say, you set up a table before me in the presence of my enemies? Why in the presence of my enemies? Because enemies need to see what a no-strings-attached feast looks like. And when enemies see what a no-strings-attached feast looks like, it might just make them hungry. (laughs) It might appeal to the hunger that is actually already within them. Have you ever entered into a meal that you just actually weren't hungry for? My my family, we uh, vacationed in Pigeon Forge one time, and for some reason we got there really late at night. I'm not sure what what happened in our schedule, but we arrived kind of late in the evening. We hadn't eaten what well, we had eaten. We'd eaten like popcorn and gas station coffee and all the stuff you eat on road trips, right? But we hadn't eaten a meal yet. And so uh, we got to Pigeon Forge. Everything was closed. But this one restaurant, Paula Dean's Restaurant. Anybody been to Paula Deen's Restaurant? Yeah. It's very, very popular right here. At the time we went, it was about closing time. So we were like the only folks in the place. But we sat down. The menu looked great. We we ordered our food. One thing we didn't realize is that Paula Dean's serves their food family style, which means they bring out like a huge plate of pork chops and a huge vat of of mashed potatoes, and they put all this stuff in front of you. And before we knew it, we were sitting there looking at all this food on the table that we weren't even actually all that that hungry for. And Jenny and I, um, because we're smart, we thought this through. We were like, hey, the place we're staying in has a refrigerator. We could like, we could box this up this is three days worth of food. We're staying for three days. We're done. Like, this is it. We've got it in front of us. And so we had the waitress come over, and I was like, we would like some to-go boxes, please. And she said, honey, we don't do to-go boxes. And I was like, what do you mean you don't do to-go boxes? There's a, a table full of food that I'm paying for on the table in front of us. Apparently, and this is what we learned, Paula Deen prefers to take the food that is sitting before you and feed it to her pigs, which are going to become the meal for next month's customers. Like that's her plan. She's smart. I'll give her that. (laughs) It's better than throwing it all away. So we were like sitting here with this conundrum, all this food, and I'm not going to argue with Paula Deen. I I mean, I'm I'm bold in some places in my life. You might be, you might think you're tough, but are you going to argue with Paula Deen? You're not. You're not going to do it. You say you are, but you're not going to. So suddenly I had to muster up this hunger within me, right? And I was like, kids, we're gonna eat some food, right? So we're like, how much how much of this food can we get in? Because this is it. We're not buying any more food. It's all on the table. The next three days is is in front of us. We gotta eat it and store it. (laughs) Paula Dean made us hungry. (laughs) She found a way to make us hungry when we weren't hungry. Maybe, maybe the table isn't just about a meal. I told you there are several places in the scripture where this image comes up. Here's one from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 25. He wrote this, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Like Kennedy's wife spoke. If you have guests, you've got to feed them. I've spoken. The Lord has spoken. I will prepare for you a great feast. There's something to look forward to. It's going to be the best of the best. The table is all about living with God. I think God is setting a table before you. I think God is setting you up for the life that he has for you. When I was writing this message this last week, I was sitting in a, in a coffee shop and, and uh, right next to me were a couple of Nashville musicians, like surprise, right? And, uh, <laughs> and they were having a conversation. I, I could hear it. Um, and, and One guy was saying to the other guy, uh, oh, you want to meet so-and-so? Well, I can totally hook you up. I can make that happen. I can set you up. If you want to have like a, a special pass, you want some special information, I can set you up. And what he was saying was all about like, I can change the environment around you to match the desires of your heart. But what God is doing when he prepares a table before us is changing our hearts to match the environment that he needs us to be in to fully embrace what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you're praying for God to change the environment around you, that might be a really good prayer, and he might might do it. But if you're praying for God to change your heart, watch out. (laughs) He will do it, and it will change everything. That's what God does best, changes hearts. In preparing a table before you, God is saying, here are the resources that you need right here's the here's the space that you need here's the time that you need to fulfill my purpose for you and you might say back to me in hearing that uh i don't have all the i don't have all the resources i need i don't have all the time i need i've got deadlines i don't have all the financial resources i need i'm in a bit of a crunch right now i don't have all the space i need i'm 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 living in a studio apartment things are kind of tight Here's what I want to say to you. Don't let the limitations imposed on you keep you from the calling that God has for you. He will prepare a table before you. Even in the presence of your enemies, he will prepare a table before you. What if every time you sat down to a table to eat, you were participating in more than daily bread, which God promises us? but you're instead you're also rehearsing for. You're getting closer to a feast that God has been preparing for us all along. And with God, when this feast is being prepared, he's not just scrambling around to see whatever leftovers he can, he can scrounge up to feed his guests. Now, Jesus is expecting us. He's been preparing a feast for us. The good stuff is already available for us. There is a seat for us at the table. I, I have some friends who are parents uh, in my life. They uh, they have a, one of their, their oldest son, when he reached adulthood, he left, which is like you want them to, right? You want them to leave the house. But he left their life. He didn't just leave their house. He left their life. And he quit communicating with them. And there was a long period of time where they hadn't heard anything about him at all. And at one point, they heard that he had gotten uh, deeply into drugs, had consumed his life. But they, they literally left a place at their table for their son who had left. All, these, all this time had gone by. They, they, kept, they hadn't heard from him. They hadn't heard from him. But like the prodigal father, they would have thrown a party at any moment when he came running down the driveway. These friends of mine, they're closer to their 80s now. They are still waiting. Can you imagine what God's heart feels like when he's still waiting? for his people to come back to him. And in the midst of that, God prepares a table for us. A feast that goes on and on and on and you don't need any to-go containers for this. It just keeps coming and, the, and it's the best of the best. And there's a, a chance that you won't be seated where you thought you would be seated at the table. It might look a little bit different. a chance that the menu being served isn't exactly what you thought you had ordered. There's a chance that the person passing you the green bean casserole is someone that you strongly disagree with. That your former enemy might actually end up sitting right next to you at the table, and that might be exactly what you need, exactly where God needs you to be. Now, in all these images that David gives us in the 23rd Psalm and in other places throughout Scripture, I think they all point us to Jesus. They all whisper the name of Jesus. And so, on Jesus' last night before he he was crucified what did he do? He prepared a table. He prepared a table in the presence of his friends and his followers. He even prepared a table in the presence of of his newest enemy who had betrayed him. One of his own had betrayed him, and yet he prepared a table. And for a time, they sat together. For Jesus and his disciples, this particular meal was was a, a meal they did on a regular basis. It was ritual, and it reminded them of God's faithfulness, of God's provision throughout the centuries. But as on this night, as they lingered around the table, Jesus began to create space and time and a whole new narrative around what this meal, what it meant to sit down at a table that has been prepared for you. Like on that night, the crucifixion was coming, everybody was expecting, it was, it was something that was on, on the horizon, and yet the storyline was actually over all of that that God was actually in the midst of preparing a table for his, a life for his people, that God was preparing a way to provide hope and life for us. In just a moment, we're going to come and gather around a communion table. It's a, it's a table of, of a feast that has everything that we need, which sounds odd because it's really, it's just going to have bread and juice. <laughs> but it represents Jesus Christ who has everything we need. For life he is our shepherd he is our host he invites us to come before we come for communion i want to invite you to to join together in reading through the 23rd psalm as we've been doing all summer long that it might settle into our hearts as we read this together the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures he leads me beside the still waters he restores my soul Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being the host of this table. We thank you for inviting us over and over again, even when we've been the prodigal who's taken what was ours and ran away, when what was ours was actually yours to begin with. But you invite us back, you welcome us back, you embrace us as we come and return to you. May we linger at this feast today. May our hearts linger here, even after, even after we, we leave this time of worship. God, we thank you for a feast which is everything that we need for life, for new life. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be present with us as we come. That your Holy Spirit would be present in the bread and in the juice. That you would make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ. That we could be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood.